The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Colin Thomas Perry, Ph.D., is a writer and lecturer in media studies who lives and works in Melbourne, Australia. In 2008, at age 49, he suffered a heart attack and had an NDE in which he met Jesus and angels. His insights into the supernatural following his NDE offer a profound view of life, death, eternity, and the deep questions of human existence. In 2015, Dr. Perry authored Dying to be Alive, a short book that nevertheless offers a point of view rarely encountered in others' NDEs. Moreover, it's Colin's hope to translate the essential nature of the spiritual realm into the physical world. Colin warns there are spiritual powers of darkness that stand against this knowledge being distributed. Nevertheless, this goal has the potential to change the way you think about NDEs, the soul, and the eternal destiny of humanity. Colin, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. It's very good to be with you. Oh, it's good to have you here all the way from Australia. Um, Colin, tell the audience a little about your exposure to God and religion as you were growing up. Yeah, well, look, I, I was brought up a Christian, although an unusual small church called the Christadelphians with some unusual beliefs that I that I sort of deciphered and then grew beyond by about the age of 15 and started to be very, very interested in God and reading the Bible and understanding what he was about and uh, absolutely loved Jesus, the man, the God, the Son of God, and really came to to know him and, and to, to pray to him quite a lot. Mm. But uh, look, it wasn't all smooth sailing, and, and at that young age in the 1970s, I was also a musician, and uh, it sort of drew me away a little bit. And I was uh, involved in the, the sort of the drug culture for a while, I guess, in the 70s, uh, but still believed in God throughout and uh, was torn between two worlds, I guess, at that point in time. Mm. Mm. And you've kept up with your music, haven't you? Except it's more blues than rock at this point. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do. You'll find my, my blues music up on um, Spotify and Apple Music and places like that under Colin Perry. So, yeah, I, I still uh, keep playing the blues and I love playing guitar. Oh, excellent. Do you have an album out? Yeah, look, there's a there's a five track EP on on Spotify and Apple Music called um, Spirit Blue. So, if anyone's interested in having a listen, it's up there. Oh, terrific! I didn't know about that. I'll, I will look for it. Well, Colin, uh, were you already teaching uh, media classes when in 2008 you had uh, some chest pain? Yes, indeed, I was. Uh, I, I had completed a, a PhD in media about seven or eight years prior to then. And uh, I was, I was lecturing and teaching people how to make film, uh, how how to do sound for film, and those sorts of areas. And mm. that was my profession at the time. Yes. yes. And uh, apparently, you went to the doctor, and she told you to get some rest. She didn't take it too seriously. But then, oh, um, look, yeah, that, that's a little harsh on her. Maybe uh, she <laughs> she gave me the ECG test where they just stick the sensors onto your chest and, and record your heartbeat and analyze it. Yes. Uh, uh, and I got back to her probably 
four or five days later to see if the results were in and she said, no, you know, they're not back yet, but just take it easy, um, which I didn't take all that seriously myself, I think, more than her because uh, I was starting to feel a little bit better by that stage. What? And then you started to decide to do some gardening and, yeah. and and encountered one of those, what was it, like a weed whacker? Where you, yeah, you weed whacker is what you call it in America. <laughs> yes. Uh, and if your machines over there are anything like ours here, they can, they can be moody. They can be temperamental. I can never get mine to start either. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this particular day, of course, I thought, oh, look, I've, I've waited around for a week. The pain seems to have diminished. I feel okay. So I, I went out and starting this machine, pulling on the cord, pulling on the cable, and it wouldn't start. So I just kept on pulling, trying to get it going, and then suddenly, bang, in my chest. It was like a, a very large cramp right across my chest. And, of course, because I'd been you know, having this pain, I knew instantly what was happening. Mm. And um, what, what happened then was, was quite profound in, in that I heard the voice of God very clearly and, and very loudly say to me, um, you are going to die, but I have things for you to do, which was slightly contradictory <laughs> at the time. Yes. <laughs> Although I was having a heart attack at the time, I looked up and said, well, which one is it, Lord? Uh, <laughs> and um, the, he just continued to speak to me and, and said, you need to go inside and pack your bag and call an ambulance right now, uh, which... I proceeded to do, uh, and I still think if I had not have if I had not have, not have acted on that right then, uh, I quite possibly could have died in my backyard, and uh, that would have been the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I did. I went in and packed my clothes into a bag and called the uh, called the ambulance service, and they were there fairly quickly. It would have been ten fifteen minutes, I guess. They they arrived and. Um, basically went through the usual procedures. The, one of the ambulance officers was on his first day, a uh, fresh young recruit. So uh, he, was, he was treating me uh, as his first patient, poor man. <laughs> uh, and uh, he uh, you know, explained to me, uh, we're going to give you nitroglycerol to lower your blood pressure. We're going to give you morphine to, to also lower your blood pressure, which they did, and loaded me into the ambulance and, said, okay, we're off to hospital. And on the way, he said, look, uh, we usually give you a second shot of morphine, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes after the first one, uh, which they did. And uh, he said, you know, you may feel lightheaded, which I did. And then I I just suddenly felt I'm going to pass out. I said, I'm going to pass out. I can feel it coming. And uh, that was it. Uh, I passed out into blackness. And then you said there was something like floating in the darkness in a like floating in water yeah it was very much i don't know if you've ever closed your eyes underwater and held held your breath and just floated in the water it was a similar sensation uh, mm. there was no movement there was no gravity or weight uh, I, I felt extremely light I, I felt just totally free in, in many ways. Um, but in, interestingly, uh, my consciousness changed between that moment and after I had died because my heart had stopped at that point in time. Uh, I, I wasn't necessarily immediately conscious of the fact of what had happened, but I just found myself in a new state 
and I found myself with this floaty, weird, dreamy sensation. Uh, and for quite some time, I was floating along, and it took a while for me to realize. And I, I said to myself, I think I've died. I think I'm, I'm gone. I'm not in my body. Yeah. I'm just existing as a spirit. And that realization started to get me concerned, obviously. I was a little bit afraid at that point in time. Sure. So as I started to become afraid, I started to sink down. I felt myself falling just gradually and gently, but I continued to fall and, and this made me more afraid. And then I, I sort of looked down if there was such a thing and I sensed a massive great black abyss beneath me, uh, which was very, very fearful. I, I really didn't want to go there. Mm. Uh, and at this point, I, I, being a believer in God, I just cried out with everything I had, just, just Jesus, help me, as loud as I could in my mind. I didn't have a voice as such. Uh, at that point in time and I just continued to float for a little while and then uh, from above a, a very strong hand just reached out and just grabbed my wrist and and pulled me upwards at an enormous rate I was flying upwards for some period of time it felt like a couple of minutes and it felt like we covered an enormous distance in that period of time and he, he actually said to me at that point in time he said to me you don't want to go down that way uh, and, and lifted me up uh, for this quite a long period of time and then then stopped and I, I found myself in a cloudy, light sort of environment with uh, a whole group of angelic beings standing around. So it would have been six or seven angelic beings and, and Jesus himself there. Had you, was, uh, it first, was it first his hand that you saw reaching down to you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and looked up and, and saw his face, uh, and and then it was whoosh up we went. And, and he grabbed you by and, the shoulder, I think he said. Uh, it's sort of the forearm. He really forearm. did grab me by the forearm, and, and uh, yeah. so it felt like physical contact, like he was really it lifting did. you. Yeah. Ah, yeah, interesting. And we were propelled up at a very very fast rate. It was not like gravity, but I could just sense that we were traveling through some enormous distances. Um, and at this point, I, I hadn't realized who this was. Uh, so I, I was just quite shocked and amazed to find myself in this cloudy, quite, quite well-lit, dim, cloudy sort of environment. It was like I didn't quite have clear vision, a bit misty. And um, he just said to me, you've died. Here you are. And now we have to make a decision. Uh, you can, if you wish to, come on with us to be in paradise and stay, or you can go back to your life. The, the choice, the decision is yours. Now, they, you said there were perhaps half a dozen angels around too. Yes. And that, Very that they, they were they physically larger than you? You said they, they made you feel small. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I was... If we can talk in physical terms, it was like I had a, a spiritual body. I was I was lying down in mm -hmm. um, in front of them, uh, so I didn't get a very clear height um, measurement against my height. But I, I would have estimated they would have been nine feet in height would be about what I would uh, I would say. Uh, it, their physical characteristics, I think it's very important to explain this, their physical characteristics didn't seem important. 
because it was just being in their presence was such a powerful experience because for the first time I've really understood that it was their mind, their soul communicating directly to me. And I, I was feeling their souls and I was feeling Jesus' soul directly communicating into mine and we were linked. And this was such a powerful and beautiful experience. It's very hard to explain and describe, but their their wisdom and their knowledge was such that I felt like a two-year-old child in their presence. Wow. Uh, they were just so profound, just just hearing and feeling their thoughts and, and coming into the proximity of their knowledge was awesome. And, um, yeah, never underestimate <laughs> the power of an angel, my goodness. Yeah. Were they were they communicating with you or with one another? Oh, look, all of the above. Yeah, it, it was like it was seriously like we were involved in this spiritual matrix. We were all linked together, and we could all hear what each other was thinking. And there was no speech. This was just direct soul to soul communication. So, so I could hear their thoughts. They could hear very distinctly. Could hear my thoughts. Uh, and, and Jesus was a, a level above. And I mean, at this stage, I, I said to him, who are you? Mm. Uh, and he said to me, I'm the one you call Lord. And there's only one person I call Lord. So at that point, I was just overcome with, my goodness, I am in the presence of Jesus. Uh, do you think, uh, just just to look at that for a second, do you suppose if um, you'd been Muslim, um that he would have said the same thing? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Um, this was very distinctly Jesus. Yes. Well, I, I've, of course, I've heard this from other NDEers of, who are non-Christian who also yeah. encounter Jesus. So this is a very, it's, it's just like an intuitive thing then, isn't it? That, yeah. That's, uh, that's look, who that is. My, my belief was, was very much in Jesus. But interestingly, at the time, I did not come up and say, oh, I'm with Jesus. It wasn't like that. He didn't have it written across his forehead. It wasn't obvious in any way, mm. apart from the fact that he was very, very distinctly at a higher level than the angels, and he was um, able to command them and give them instruction and advise them. And that was very obvious in the way they interacted, that, that they had absolute respect for him and came under his authority mm. uh, in a very gentle way. In, and in way. at some point, you, I think you said he lifted you up to a standing position. Yeah, there was a, a point where th- that happened uh, a little further in once I'd adjusted to the whole environment. And yeah. This was after he told me who he was and I, I was sort of down at his feet just going, oh, wow, yes. um, you, you truly are amazing. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the way it felt. Uh, and, and he did lift me up at this point and, and talk to me about making this decision and what I wanted to do. And yeah. at this point, once again, I felt fear coming because of that, that realisation, that reminder that I was dead, that, I, that I'd left people behind, that I'd left my children behind. I had a, a, a daughter who was heavily brain damaged. And yes. Eight-year-old son, a 12-year-old daughter, a 15-year-old daughter, all, all at home not knowing their father was dead. And, and this really did terrify me. Uh, and plus, I did not feel I had completed my my work for, for my lifetime. For some reason, I had this sense that my work wasn't done. 
And I also thought of what God had said to me when I was there. You know, I have things for you to do. And that, I think, was a little nudge, a little reminder that I did have things to complete in my lifetime. But when you were, when you were floating there on your back, you were in complete bliss. And then it was the memory of uh, your responsibilities on Earth that caused you to, what, have a panic attack, it almost sounds like, from the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Very literally, it was. Um, it's just suddenly my, my earthly consciousness, my earthly memories, I guess, flooded back in and, and I, I just got some context in it and realised I'm dead. I'm not there for my family. I'm not there for anybody. I've left my body. I've left the earth. And, and, yet, and that did cause me to panic. And yeah. I understood it. I started to say, look, I, I'm not finished. I've got my children. I've, I've got things I need to do. There are things that are unfinished and started to get quite tense. And, uh, and this was very out of place for them. Uh, and they actually started to mentally, spiritually calm me. It was like they all gathered around very quickly and, and, and uh, calmed me down and said, no, no we, we can't have that here. We don't have fear in this place. <laughs> That's pretty so, much what they said. So were these uh, the angels that uh, get like gathered around you and to calm yeah, you yeah, down? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, and it, it works. I mean, they were, were able to calm me down very quickly, and I, and I understood then. Yeah, no, look, of course, this is not a fearful place. People, people are in their presence in bliss. Is the the general the general emotion and feeling that's in that place. Mm. So, uh, yes, they, they put me back into order. Uh, and uh, then, I, then I did say, look, I, I do think I do need to go back because of these reasons. I have my children. I have things that I need to finish that I don't feel are done yet. Right. Now, here, the, right here is where you had an experience or a communication from Jesus that I have not heard from any other NDE. -er. And he was a, it was a warning. Uh, that if you go back, well, you tell us. Tell us. What yeah, well, he said to me, look, if you go back, there is no guarantee that you will come back here again. And that rests on your choices. And that rests on you, what you do with your life when you go back. Uh, if, you know, he was, he was basically giving me a, a nice, gentle warning that I still needed to, to live my life in the right way, in the right manner, to come back to paradise, that it wasn't necessarily just a guaranteed entry for me. Perhaps if I abandoned my faith, perhaps if I lived a, a terrible lifestyle, I, I would not be coming back. Uh, he made that quite clear to me at that point in time, yes. So many people who have NDEs and see paradise and experience God's love just assume that that's where they're going when they die regardless. And this was a. Uh, this meant the responsibility uh, was was in your hands. Yeah, did absolutely. He, did he give you any specific warnings about uh, about difficulties you might face or temptations you might face when you came back? Well, look, he, he did. He did mention someone. I won't go into details because it is quite personal. But he did mention someone I would meet and someone who could potentially become a risk for me. And look, in some ways, yeah, that that definitely did come about. Mm. Uh, I, I won't go into details because it is quite personal. But, no, um, of, co of course. Yeah, but but, uh, but he gave you some insight into into it. It wasn't going to be uh, necessarily an easy uh, 
an easy life yeah. for you. Yeah, he, he did sort of explain to me that, you know, going back in there, it won't be easy because, you know, you've experienced this and you're going back in there and all those same temptations and all the same physical existence, uh, the heaviness of, of being on earth would, would once again be, be something I would have to grapple with and, and, uh, and overcome in my life, as we all do, without even realising it. Uh, and it's not until you leave this life that you realise just how much we do have to grapple with living in this world. Yes. And then, uh, I guess, Jesus sent an angel to, to check out the condition of your hmm. body. The exact words he used were, uh, go and check the vessel. Check that the vessel is good. Uh, and I saw an angel flying away. And in the distance, I could still see way off in the distance my, my body lying in the ambulance. And the ambulance offer officer working on my body and the angel I saw the angel go down and start to move around my body and and look at the whole situation there and that was when Jesus started to have the conversation with me about what would potentially eventuate if I went if I went back to my life and look at this at this point also they um the angel eventually came back and said, yes, the vessel is good. But at this point, the, the most amazing things were happening. Um, Jesus did say to me, look, I, I need to go into you and do some work. So he was talking about it like surgery. Yes. And um, he said, just just let me, let me do this. Let me come into you and do this. And he then actually came into my soul, into my mind, and started to fix things and shift things around. It, it was very hard to explain. Uh, but I could feel him working on me and repairing damage and restoring me, uh, which was the most magnificent uh, sensation because at that point we were joined and I could really feel his consciousness and I could really feel his awareness, which I, I really do struggle to put into words because it was so profound and so universal. Uh, at that point, I felt a bit of what he was feeling and at, at that point, I actually felt that I could know anything that was happening in the universe at that point in time uh, and even beyond time, that, that he just knew all things that were occurring, was aware of all things that were taking place everywhere. And it was a very overpowering and wonderful experience um, and something I've never really felt fully alive since that moment because I experienced what, what completion is what complete, complete unity with Jesus actually is and what it means. And uh, that was nothing, nothing compares. Nothing compares to that. That was the high point of my existence by a long shot. Wow. Now, he was entering your soul but doing repairs at the same time on your physical body. Is that right? I believe so. I, I, I really don't know the answer to that question. All I knew was that I felt restored, I felt changed, I felt so much better uh, when he had done it. All this time, uh, there was this incredibly powerful sensation of love. Uh, I don't know if you remember lying in your mother's arms as a little child and just how warm and loved and nurtured and cherished you felt. And that was the sensation that, that I had, but far greater, like a, a hundredfold, uh, that there was this beautiful love, this all-encompassing love and acceptance, uh, not only from Jesus and those angels, but I could feel 
it was a sense of family. It was it was as if I was with a very large family reunion with all of my relatives, but I couldn't see them, but I could feel them. Hmm. Uh, and it was like I was at home. I felt more at home there than I've ever felt in my life. It, it was a beautiful feeling. Wow. And was it then that you asked uh, uh, Jesus about your future or, or what he wants you, wanted you to do? We, we did talk about it, and um, I didn't so much ask as he started talking to me about it and started saying, you know, he, he wanted me to tell people about what had happened. He wanted me to, to pass this on, and that was one of the main reasons for me coming back is what I'm doing exactly right now, was to actually communicate and share this experience and that what, what was beyond death for people because it's such a source of fear for people in, in our lives. And ama- amazingly, this, this is the most fantastic experience was he and the angels, he took the angels aside and was talking about my future and was showing them something. And I sort of wanted, was interested and wanted to come and see. And he said, don't let him see this. And, and so I was sort of kept back for a while. And he said, okay, come over and look. And it was as if a veil parted and I was seeing scenes from my future just a few glimpses here and there of, of things that would happen to me later in my life. And uh, it, it was just amazing to be looking through a veil into the future. And that's when it really started to occur to me that, wow, this is, this is beyond time, that these beings are beyond time. They can see through time. They can just look forward and know what's coming and, and see into the future. No problem for them. Um, everyday stuff. But for, for us, just totally mind-boggling. But for them, that's just the way they are and the way they live. So when he warned you that it was up to you to do the right things in your life to get back to paradise, he already knew, <laughs> he already knew what the result of your life was going to be, didn't he? Very much so. Um, yeah, and look, I, I, won't, I won't say it's been an easy journey uh, by any stretch, but... What, what I think it's important to talk about is, is the sense of coming back to this world and how that felt and how it affected me. Sure. Um, so I, he did, like, send me back and say, go on back down, and I felt myself floating down again and I felt myself in, in water again, very much like I was in a swimming pool and rising up. In fact, it was very similar to, I don't know if you've seen that, that scene in Lord of the Rings movie where... Uh, Sam Gamgee goes under the water and Frodo pulls him up into the boat and you can see the beams of sunshine coming from above. And that was the sensation I had when I came into my body. Uh, It was like I was emerging from water into this brightness and then suddenly, bang, I was back in my body. And uh, it felt terrible. <laughs> There's no other way to do it. After that beautiful, blissful feeling, that lightness, that freedom that I'd experienced with Jesus and the angels, it was like hitting concrete. Uh, I felt heavy. Uh, I felt cumbersome. I felt cloudy-headed. It, it was, you know, partially obviously because of my physical condition, but but also just the sense of being back in this world and back in this place was really difficult to cope with. And uh, uh, it was not enjoyable at first. Mm. I think you compared compared it to being in concrete, which would be 
quite a contrast to floating in, in oh, oh, yeah. virtual yeah. water. So. It, it was. It, look, this, this existence we live in with our physical bodies, this physical earth, is very clumsy compared to what's there. Uh, clumsy, heavy, um, demanding, uh, it, it, it drags us down. Whereas being in that spiritual state is light, floating, freedom. It, it is beautiful and, and love and being surrounded by love all the time and just thinking life is good. <laughs> mm. That was the, the general sensation of being there. Uh, but being in this life, is, is a constant battle after knowing what it's like to be there. Uh, I understand now that this life, we are constantly torn and pulled down by forces of darkness and pulled up by forces of light. And uh, it's really our choices as to which forces we align ourselves with and, and which way we choose, to, um, we choose to head, upward or downward. You know, that, that is very much our decisions in life and how we live. But you felt the potential for corruption simply by being back in your body? Well, I don't think you can really understand the power of that until you've been away from corruption. Uh, and look, it's very interesting reading all of the prophets in the Bible who've been translated to the heavens. Uh, every one of them has said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I, I feel terrible. I feel guilty. I feel... I feel rotten, basically, um, and and in a lot of those visions, it's been to do with an angel coming and giving them something to eat or so giving them something to, to restore them and make them feel uh, worthy in, in that place um, because just the very fact of humanity, just the very fact of living in this world, when you, when you find yourself there, you feel stained, uh, you feel very inferior. And unworthy of being in their presence. And, and that was very much what I felt. Mm. Now, when you opened your eyes in the ambulance, uh, this, the uh, EMT was just about to zap you with a defibrillator, wasn't he? <laughs> he was standing over me with the pads, with his, good thing he... <laughs> his eyes wide, saying, ah, you're back with us. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was, yeah. And, and I said to him, look, I have been gone for ages. What's what's happening? And, and he said, "What are you talking about? It's only been a minute. Mm. You, your heart stopped a minute ago." And I was stunned. I, I really was stunned because it felt to me as if I'd been there for at least twenty minutes to half an hour, minimum. And, and uh, yet, time here had only been sixty seconds. So I was obviously very removed from this time frame on, on planet Earth. And you, you told him what you saw, what you'd seen? Yes. He, he was, look, I think the guy was in shock. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was pale as a ghost and, and um, it was his first day as an ambulance operator. So I really do feel for him looking back. Uh, and he, he was just, whoa, uh, okay, all right then, and, and just didn't know how to respond. Um, and I, I was without a shirt. He'd, he'd uh, ripped my shirt off and he said to me, I, I, I took your shirt off, I threw it down the corner, it was sopping wet. And uh, I, I felt like I was floating in water. It's very interesting, this fact. And then I said, oh, do you want to toss it back up to me? I need to put my shirt on. And he threw it back up and I said, hey, this shirt is completely bone dry. And, and he couldn't believe it. 
he couldn't believe that the shirt was dry because he said, when I took this shirt off you, it was wet. It was wringing wet. Wow. But now it's dry. So I don't know how to explain that, but something of my experience of being in water had actually physically translated through to how he felt my shirt. So that was an interesting fact. Yes. And then when you got to the hospital, did you tell them what you'd seen? I tried. Look, some people are receptive, some are not. And you can tell some just say, oh, oh, how interesting, Dr. Perry. Just lie down and relax. Uh, and, and others were very interested and in wanting to hear more about it and telling me other stories that I'd heard from other patients, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, there was a variety of receptions. And uh, did you tell your kids right away? How, how old were they at that point? Well, we had like 8, 12, 15 with, with those kids that were there with me. Uh-huh. And I did. I did tell them. And they, look, I don't think they knew what to make of the situation. They just saw their father laid out in hospital with tubes and everything emerging from him. And, and I think they were slightly shocked by what was going on. I don't think they knew what to make of it at all. But they were very interested, obviously. Yeah. And this is also a, a, an indication of a miraculous cure because the Apparently, the stent surgeon said it appeared you'd had angioplasty, but you'd this never had head, Yeah, this was the head um, cardio doctor in the hospital. He was a very senior medical person, and he, he came to see me and he said, um, well, I, I need to explain what happened because when I, when I had come back, it didn't stop. Uh, I would have thought, you know, I'm back on earth, it all stops. No, it did not stop. I could still hear angels talking to me for some time. Uh, while I was in hospital. And they, they were describing things, talking to me. And one of the things they said was, we, we have healed three arteries, but there's one we cannot heal. Um, don't ask me why. They should be able to heal them all if they wish to, but for some reason they did not heal one artery. And when this cardio doctor came to see me later, he actually said, you appear to be one of those very lucky people who've had a heart attack and regrown arteries around the blockages because Whoa. you you have had that we can see that in in the scans and i said well no how to text that i'm aware of in the past and uh it, it appears that had been restored so that was quite a fantastic thing in itself you said you uh opened the bible a number mm-hmm. of times and found Totally appropriate verses, just at random. Tell us a little about that. Look, that's something I, I have done in my life on several occasions. You know, just sit down and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? And throw the Bible open and see what, what verses come up. Well, uh, at this point in time, there was only one sort of verse was coming up, which was verses about being restored from death or, or raised from the grave. Uh, I couldn't escape it. It was weird. Uh, every time I opened the Bible continually, it would open to one of those things. Psalm 16 is one of them. Um, the, the, the Lazarus story, the resurrection of Christ, um, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, you know, grave, where is your sting? Uh, all of those, ver- I could not get away from it. No matter how many times I opened the Bible, it would open up to a verse on that subject, mm. which was really reassuring for me at that point in time. It was just it was just God speaking to me and saying, I've got you. I've got you. I've brought you back. 
and I'm with you. And it was yeah. a very comforting feeling. Uh, one of the, I think you said the first in your book, you say the first verse you, you opened to was Psalm 30. Oh, Lord, my God, I called on you to help and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down to the pit, which fits <laughs> perfectly. That was you, the first thing that your, my face. That's <laughs> your NDE is described right there. It's amazing. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And going down to the pit was very much what I was, I was feeling and, and afraid of. Yes. You know, that uh, description of floating and then sinking reminded me, I think it's the Muslims who say our hearts are weighed against a feather in judgment. And if, if, if the scale rises with, you know, the side where your heart is, if it rises, then you're saved. And if it sinks and, and that's exactly what, you know, in another medium, not on a scale, but in the water, that's what you were experiencing until you called on Jesus. Yeah, very, very much so until I called on Jesus. And that was very much in the forefront of my awareness that this, this promise, this covenant that those who believe in him will be saved, you know, and that's, that's spoken many times by him in, in the Gospels. He says, you know, believe in me, be baptized, and you will have eternal life. That's a promise he makes. Uh, and, and I certainly saw that at work. Um, and I, I felt his saving power very literally in that he literally reached down and grabbed me and saved me and, and took me to heaven. And, and that's, although well, we weren't all the way to heaven, we were outside by some way, but it certainly was the way it worked out for me. Yeah. Now, um, we haven't really talked about your daughter, Rebecca, but tell the audience what tragedy befell her and um, but how this um, your experience was communicated to her and how she communicated back to you. Yeah, sure. Rebecca, uh, tragic, very, very sad, beautiful young girl, blonde hair, blue eyes. She was she was stunningly alive and she was hit by a car when she was seven years old and, and suffered some very profound brain injury um, in the area of the brain stem at the, at the back of the brain, which controls all the communication of movement to the body. So virtually all of her movement was taken. Uh, she was in a coma for two to three months, which was terrifying. And she um, came out of it only really able to function well with her left hand was the only thing she could do. She couldn't speak. She can almost mouth words, but not quite. Uh, but she could communicate quite well with her hand and with her, her speech and, and the intonation of her voice. And we got a very strong sense of she could sign things for yes and no and make, make signs for different things that she wanted to communicate to us on a fairly simple level. But, yeah, after, after my NDE, I, I told her this would be some months afterwards when I was restored and able to see her again uh she uh, i basically sat and told her look you know rebecca i've been i died i went to heaven i met with jesus and the angels and it was beautiful and i was telling her about it she became extremely excited to start to point to herself and, and say me 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 and i stopped and said rebecca are you are you telling me you've had that experience also and, and um she nodded and pointed up, which was her way of saying yes, and was very excited and laughing and, and, and just bubbling with joy that I knew oh. what had happened. Um, 
which was a wonderful moment. It was it was very beautiful to to understand that when she was in a coma for all that time, she was actually in the presence of the Lord. Yes, what a relief that would be. I mean, mm. when you think of of all the suffering that she had experienced in, in her young life, to, to know that she had made that connection, and, yeah. and oh, for you to know what that connection was like too. Yes. I mean, what a, what a great moment of, of communion that must have been. And it will look, it was very helpful. She actually passed away the following year in 2009 um, from the swine flu, which is very relevant to us at the moment. Yes. Closely related to, uh, to COVID. And um, she was on her deathbed and I, I was with her and, and just I knew her time was short and she knew her time was short. And I was able to just, just look at her and say, Rebecca, you and I both know where you're going and what will happen after you die. And so you don't need to be afraid because you know how good it is there. You know how much God loves you. You know much, how much he's going to welcome you to that place. And, and um, I could just see her face soften and she was very much comforted by that thought. And that, look, it made it easier for both of us uh, with her passing. It really did. Yesterday we were talking a little about your experience and how you felt Jesus' mind enter your mind on the other side, and that that has happened to you since, to a certain extent. And uh, I think I raised the mind meld <laughs> from Star Trek as a as a possible parallel that people might understand. Talk talk about that, um, how that's affected you since you've come back, and also some of the Bible references like uh, the kingdom of God is within you. Most definitely. Look, look. I've always believed these things and read them and, and thought about them and, and accepted them in principle. But when theory and practice meet and you actually experience the kingdom of heaven firsthand, it's a very, very different kettle of fish. Um, and that is something that has certainly never truly left me since that occasion, since that time. Um, look, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Those were Jesus' words. And I believe very literally that we are, each of us, potentially a portal from heaven to earth if we open ourselves up in that direction. And I believe that is God's will for every human being. I really do. That we can, um, if you like, channel heaven through us and into the world. And, and the means by which this happens is love, the power of love, the thing we call love. Now, I'm not talking physical, sensual love of man and woman. This is, this is love of human being to human being, uh, love, of, love of people uh, and caring for them and, and nurturing them. That sort of love is directly reflective of what I experienced there in heaven. And I have many times since then experienced that same sense of love and it, it's always involved with helping people comforting people uh, feeling unity with people and feeling at one with people and in a sense like there's even been times i have felt what people are thinking and been able to say oh i know you're thinking this or i know you're thinking that maybe because i've experienced it there some of that has stayed I suspect so. doesn't make me any better than anybody else, but it's just something I have been uh, able to experience since that time, and it is wonderful. 
One of the one of the uh, Bible quotes in your in your book is John seventeen twenty one. Uh, I think it's Jesus praying to God that all of them, probably meaning his disciples, might be one, and extending it past the disciples. It's a message to all of us that all of them might be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And um, and then another from uh, Paul, First Corinthians. It was his explicit promise that we would share in his nature. In order to reach that level of unity, we must learn to surrender our mental processes to his control. And, yeah. and uh, we have the mind of Christ, is the quote from 1 Corinthians. We have the mind very, of Christ. Very much what I have experienced since being back, at, and I'm absolutely a believer in that. I mean, look, we, we, we think about these things in terms of religion, and things that have come down through the centuries and, and traditions that have been uh, taught by the church. But I, I think it's very interesting to apply that mind meld, that sort of sci-fi uh, communication of minds that you were talking about, because in reality, that's what it is. Yeah. We are in telepathic communication with God, and he is in telepathic communication with us via angels, via the Holy Spirit, there is a pathway of communication going on, which is very profound and very deep. Uh, some of us, I think, do recognise it more than others, perhaps because we practice and pray and and activate that sort of area of our lives. Uh, some ignore it completely and pretend it's not there. I mean, the most obvious way I think we experience it is through the sensation of love and through what we would call our conscience, knowing what is right and knowing what is wrong, and having a deep, a deep feeling of, of that right and wrong difference. Um, that's the most obvious ways I think we experience it, but, uh, but his presence is very much alive within us, within our souls. Do you think the knowledge of that possibility is an additional responsibility laid on us? In other words, if we, if we know that much about the other side, our bad deeds judged harsher because we had that knowledge than someone who's uh, like the prodigal son just acting out of a ignorance and passion until he comes home and realizes the father is the answer. It concerns me to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, it, it does say the teachers will be judged more harshly because more is expected. If, if we know these things, then it is expected of us that we will act in response to them. Um, it's not easy, and sometimes it may feel a bit unfair, but I, I think it is, it is a fact that people who actually know Jesus, know God, know of his power, do have a responsibility to act on that knowledge and, and to live our lives accordingly and to, um, and to try and communicate that to other people uh, the best that we can, often... I love what St. Francis, I think it was, said, you know, um, do you preach the gospel? I think he said uh, something about I, I, I don't do it in words. I don't speak it in words, but I do it every day of my life. That, that it's, it's my actions that preach the gospel. It's my way of life that shows people what God is. And, and that, to me, is probably the most powerful way we can live. 
is to be concentrating on helping others. As Jesus said, you know, if you've cared for even one of these little ones, then you've cared for me. And that is, is a powerful thought. And those of us who know God and know Jesus really do have a responsibility to help and to, and to be something that other people can rely on and look to. Here's a question sort of related to uh, the notion of free will and predestination, which is always a challenge. Um, but you say in your book, the Lord and his angels are at work examining and arranging events throughout time. God stands outside of time and can observe and manipulate events throughout all time from a position that is not fixed at any one point in time. Do you think, do you think God is changing the past and the future in order to uh, regulate the present? That is such a complex question and one that, that I have dwelt on a lot since my experience. I don't think we can truly hope to understand it in all its fullness, but um, I, I don't believe God goes back and alters past history. But what I do believe he does is through what we are living in the present, he alters the effects of what has happened in the past through time. It's a flow. The things from the past, as we know from our lives when we get older, the things from our past come back to bite us and they do have an effect on our lives now and how our lives will be lived out in the future. So what we do with it in the present, how we respond to it in the present, I think that's how God works and manipulates and alters outcomes in the long term. Um, That's where the concept of forgiveness is so huge uh, in that. People can punish themselves for their pasts, but but God encourages us to say to accept his forgiveness and his love and and to have that attitude to ourselves, that we are forgiven, that we are loved, and our actions will change and that will in turn alter how our futures are worked out. You also said something I thought was very profound. God works at the level of small human choices that bring about massive global changes. Yeah. Talk about that a little. Give us an example. Oh, wow. I, I think, look, it, it only st- takes a spark to, to light a fire. Um, I think that the small things that happen, I think that a, a, a humble carpenter in Nazareth 2,000 years ago who met with a bunch of fishermen and, and other outcasts has totally turned the world on its head in 2,000 years. Uh, the, the amount of change that has been brought about by his teaching is immeasurable. Uh, in the concept of forgiveness, I mean, it's come right through our legal system uh, rather than the Roman concept of justice, which was rather direct and rather brutal. Um, all sorts of ways in our lives and in our society have been shaped by this one little movement in Israel in, in uh, 30 AD. Uh, that's a sort of example in the extreme of how things happen, but our actions affect others. If we do good to others, they will in turn tend to do good to other people as well. It's like a wave that goes out from us and that, that is how I see God working through, through individuals and through groups of people who do what is good 
what is right and it flows on and flows through to affecting many people and, and changes the destiny of the earth, I think, in the world. Just to let people know that the Bible is not the only document you read, <laughs> you mentioned in your book the Zephyr Yetzirah, which is uh, uh, an ancient uh, Hebrew text. Tell us a little about that. Sure. Look, I absolutely do see the Bible as the Word of God. I'm, I need to make that very, very straight and very plain. But I also recognize that, that the Bible had a background and a history uh, prior to Moses and, and that there were other documents and other other teachings, I guess, um, that came and flowed through. And there's, there's a whole verbal tradition that goes along with with uh, Judaism. And the Sefer Yetzirah is one of the books that's supposed to be written by Abraham, a very interesting book that, that works through basically the process of the Hebrew alphabet and its meanings and the, the meanings of the letters and the words of the alphabet and their relationship to God. And the name of God, Yahweh, uh, which is very powerful. And, and in fact, Abraham in, in the Bible and in the writings, it says he, he called on God, he called on the name of God, and God would come and meet with him and communicate with him and, and share with him. And this is the sort of knowledge that... Um, that he passed to his children, to his children, to his children, and was passed down through the generations. Uh, not free for everybody to know, but certainly the rabbis were, were trained in it and uh, continues on to this day. However, I think it's somewhat changed over the thousands of years. But the, the real point of interest I found in the, in the Sefer Yetzirah was uh, Abraham talking about the, the levels the dimensions of heaven and uh, talking about how it was separated into three heavens uh, above us. And, and the Apostle Paul talks about this also. And that there are layers overlapping, the, the layer we live in, which is our world. And then there's the layer of the angels overlapping and above that. Then there's a layer of archangels above that. Then there's what we call the throne room sitting at the top of this hierarchy. And this is this is what uh, Jacob's ladder was all about in, in the book of Genesis. And, and Jesus referred to it also, the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And that's the sort of arrangement that I've come to understand through this, this reading and this prayer and meditation, uh, that there is indeed like a, a layer cake of dimensions or heavens above us with God seated above the heavens. We're just about... Out of time, Colin, but in our conversation earlier, you'd said that Jesus had given you some glimpses of the future. Talk a little about the prophecy that you've been been gifted with. Yeah, um, I saw a very clear vision of, of large tidal waves, very large tidal waves coming towards me. And I had this dream, probably recurring dream three or four times. And I asked God to explain to me what it was about. And um, there was a series of waves. They were enormous. And yet when they came to me, they ended up just as nothing more than froth at my feet. And I really wanted to know the meaning of this. And, and um, God just spoke to me one day and said, um, this is the waves that will come upon the earth. He said, there, there is the wave of pestilence. And this was said at the start of COVID. He said, this is, this is a wave of pestilence that will hit the earth and it will be followed by a wave of warfare that will uh, that will come over the whole earth, 
And he also then said that will be followed by a wave of natural disasters, the like of which we have never seen, uh, that will totally shake the earth. Uh, and that was very much what he was expressing to me and saying, this is, this is what's coming. It will be wave after wave after wave. Uh, and that's a pretty concerning thought. Um, and yet, at the end of it, we have the, the establishment of a righteous kingdom on earth. That is, that is the promise. So that's what we are looking forward to, a heavenly kingdom on earth. Wow. Well, Colin, thank you so much. We are at, indeed out of time. But tell the folks how they can find your book, Dying to Be Alive. Sure. Well, look, if you just do a search on C. Thomas Perry, Dying to be Alive, it will come up. It's in Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble. It's, it's in a lot of different bookstores. So, so it's pretty easy to find. Um, I would advise you to get the e-copy. It's, it's a lot cheaper than the, the paperback, <laughs> a lot more accessible. Uh, but, yeah, look, a simple online search for Dying to be Alive, C. Thomas Perry, and that will come up. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. This has been uh, really an exceptional program, and I I thank you for it. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 400 archived NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can listen and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to like, follow, and share our new NDE Radio Facebook page and discover our Facebook group and links to our YouTube channel while you're there. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app with your desktop or mobile device. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.